This is VOA News. I'm Marissa Melton. As he hosts his administration's first state visit, U.S. President Joe Biden is acknowledging French concerns over his signature climate change law. AP Washington correspondent Sagar Magani reports. Amid the pomp of French President Emmanuel Macron's White House visit, differences over trade shadowed the occasion. Macron and other European leaders say incentives in the Inflation Reduction Act favor American-made climate technology. And while he applauds U.S. efforts to fight climate change, the subsidies would hurt European companies. We want to succeed together, not one against the other. At a joint news conference, President Biden said he makes no apologies for a law he wrote, but there are glitches. There's tweaks that we can make. Macron says the nations will resynchronize their clean energy efforts. Sagar Magani, Washington. A U.S. appeals court on Thursday reversed a judge's appointment of a special master to vet documents seized by the FBI from former President Donald Trump's Florida home. A three-judge panel of the Atlanta-based 11th Circuit U.S. Court of Appeals ruled in favor of the Justice Department in its challenge to a September ruling by U.S. District Judge Eileen Cannon. The 11th Circuit overturned Cannon's decision to grant Trump's request for a special master to evaluate the records to decide if some should be kept from investigators and to bar investigators from accessing most of the records pending the review. The appeals court ordered the dismissal of Trump's lawsuit filed after the August 8th raid of his Florida estate. Trump is likely to appeal the 11th Circuit's action to the conservative-majority U.S. Supreme Court. From Washington, you're listening to VOA News. The Somali government said Thursday its forces killed about 40 al-Shabaab fighters in the middle Shabel region in the latest clashes in a months-long offensive that aims to weaken the grip of the Islamist militant group. Al-Shabaab, an al-Qaeda franchise that's seeking to impose its interpretation of Islamic law across the country, frequently stages deadly attacks in the capital Mogadishu. On Sunday, al-Shabaab stormed a heavily guarded hotel near the president's, the president's home in Mogadishu, killing nine people. Russian-made helicopters and weapons were used in an airstrike in September that left 12 people in Myanmar dead, half of them children, at a school. This according to a human rights group that monitors violations in Myanmar. Russia, which has diplomatic ties with Myanmar, denies the accusation. The group Myanmar Witness made its allegations in a recent report detailing what it says happened at the school on the compound of a Buddhist monastery in Tabayan Township. The legal team for movie mogul Harvey Weinstein is presenting closing arguments in his rape and sexual assault trial in Los Angeles. AP Entertainment correspondent Margie Zaraleta reports. Defense attorney Alan Jackson told a Los Angeles jury that fury from witnesses does not make fact and tears do not make truth. Weinstein is charged with raping and sexually assaulting two women and committing sexual battery against two others. Jackson says with two of the women, the encounters were consensual, and with the other two, it never happened. Prosecutors said in their closing arguments, it's time for Weinstein's reign of terror to end. I'm Archie Zaraleta. The U.S. Senate has moved quickly to avert a rail strike that the Biden administration and business leaders say would greatly damage the economy. The Senate passed a bill Thursday to bind rail companies and workers to a proposed settlement 
that was reached between the rail companies and union leaders in September. That settlement had been rejected by some of the 12 unions involved, creating the possibility of a strike. The Senate vote was 80 to 15. It came one day after the House voted to impose the agreement. The measure now goes to President Biden's desk for his signature. The Biden administration has banned approvals of new telecommunications equipment from China's Huawei Technologies and ZTE because they pose an unacceptable risk to U.S. national security. The move represents Washington's latest crackdown on the Chinese tech giants amid fears that Beijing could use them to spy on Americans. Huawei declined to comment. ZTE and the Chinese embassy in Washington did not respond to requests for comment. I'm Marissa Melton, VOA News. Good morning, Africa. Welcome to Daybreak Africa from the Voice of America. I am James Barty in Washington. Today is Friday, December 2nd, and here are some of the stories we are covering. Rising tensions continue between Rwanda and the Democratic Republic of the Congo, despite efforts to defuse them. When you see the statements everywhere saying, you know, territorial integrity of Congo must be respected, I totally agree, but so must Rwanda's UN Secretary General Gutierrez praises Ethiopia's ceasefire, Gambia's central bank is hacked, and thousands of dollars deposited into accounts of civil servants. Cameroon says separatist conflict prevents access to AIDS treatment. South Africa awaits President Ramaphosa's response to the Palapala report. All options are on the table. What is important is choosing a path or a route that um, is in the interest of the country with respect to the stability of government as well as the stability of the country itself. An LGBTQ community tops new HIV-AIDS infections in Liberia. Those stories plus something O'Malley sports are coming up on Daybreak Africa. Rwandan President Paul Kagame has accused the DRC of supporting the FDLR rebels and provoking his country. His comments come a few days after the third round of inter-Congolese talks to normalize the security situation concluded in Nairobi earlier this week. Moses Javier Rimana has the story. Tension between Rwanda and Democratic Republic of Congo continues to rise despite efforts to end the crisis between the two East African countries in talks this week in Kenyan capital. While addressing the parliament in Kigali, Rwanda's President Paul Kagame accused the DRC of not respecting his country's territorial integrity while protecting the FDLR. Firing artillery across the border into our territory is a sufficient invitation. That statement still stands. We have been keeping quiet about some things, you know, violations. When you see the statements everywhere saying, you know, territorial integrity of Congo must be respected. I totally agree. But so must Rwanda's territorial integrity. Earlier this week, the East African Community released a statement calling for the territorial integrity of DRC to be respected. Peter Matuki is the Secretary General of the East African Community. 
I have no doubt in my mind we are going to have peace in Eastern DRC. But not in Eastern DRC, but the entire East Africa. Because that is very important. Efforts are being done. We are all working together to ensure Eastern part of DRC remains peaceful for the benefit and for the good of the people of East Africa. Ezekiel Nibigira is the Burundi Minister of ESC Affairs and Chairman of the Group's Council of Ministers. We are moving in the right track and uh, the East African community is working hard so that DRC may recover peace. Relations between Rwanda and DRC deteriorated significantly after Kinshasa accused Kigali of supporting the M23 rebels who have captured several territories of the country despite ongoing dialogue. The DRC says it won't negotiate with the fighters. Isiang Kanga is a communications officer at the presidency of the DRC. There is no new negotiation with the M23. They have to understand that they started already this process. So this talks, that's it. There's no any uh, question that uh, the M23, they will try to integrate the armed forces or uh, the institutions in our way. Earlier this year, East African community member states approved the deployment of ESC forces to the DRC to restore peace and stability. The ESC-led dialogue is facilitated by former President Uhuru Kenyatta. The major task remains to bring M23 and the DRC government to the table. That may be difficult as Kinshasa has rejected negotiating with what it calls the terrorists. Moses Saviarimana, VOA Africa, Arusha, Tanzania. UN Secretary General Antonio Gutierrez praised Ethiopia Tigray ceasefire during his first visit to the country since the war broke out two years ago. He said the UN is upscaling aid to meet dramatic humanitarian needs. Fred Harter reports from Addis Ababa. Speaking alongside African Union Commissioner Musa Faki Mahmed on Thursday, Guterres called on the international community to support Ethiopia following the signing of the ceasefire with Tigray last month. Ethiopia's Ministry of Finance says it will cost $20 billion to rebuild damage done to infrastructure during the two-year conflict. But donors, including the United States and the European Union, are yet to resume support that was cut off out of concern for human rights abuses. We appeal to the international community to support Ethiopia in its development. There is not a better way to consolidate peace than developing the country, uh, creating the conditions for the people to see the peace dividends, people to see how peace contributes to improvement of the living conditions of the citizens of the country. And we'll be in the first line of advocating for international support for the development of uh, uh, Ethiopia in this crucial moment of the history of the country. While in Addis Ababa, Guterres held a joint meeting with the AU's Faki and Ethiopian Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed. Guterres says that the conflicts in Ethiopia had resulted in more casualties than the war in Ukraine and added that implementation of the ceasefire was vital. This is an opportunity that Ethiopia cannot miss, that Africa cannot miss and that the world cannot miss. There were more casualties in the conflict in Ethiopia than in the conflict in Ukraine. People sometimes forget that this has been a dramatic conflict and what was achieved thanks to the mediation of the African Union 
is remarkable and it's the obligation of everybody everywhere in the world to do everything possible to support the African Union and to support the parties to make sure that we reach a final peace settlement. Under the terms of an implementation accord, the AU was due to deploy a monitoring team to Tigray by November 22. But diplomatic sources told VOA the team has yet to reach the northern region. The Tigray rebels have agreed to disarm their fighting force alongside the withdrawal of Eritrean and other non-federal forces from Tigray. But diplomats say Eritrean troops are still present. Aid has started to reach the region, where 5.4 million people need humanitarian supports. Disarmament was due to be completed within 30 days of the ceasefire that was agreed on November 2. Ethiopia's government said Thursday that a committee tasked with organising the disarming of Tigray's fighters had convened in the city of Shire, adding that the committee's work had been delayed due to technical factors. Fred Harter for VOA News, Alice Arba, Ethiopia. South African President Cyril Ramaphosa has not yet responded publicly to critical findings about him. A panel of experts has found preliminary evidence that Ramaphosa violated his oath of office over an alleged cover-up of a burglary at his game farm. No criminal case has been opened yet, but some political analysts say the findings have dire consequences for the president, his ruling African National Congress Party, and the country. Tusok Malo reports from Johannesburg. Presidential spokesperson Vincent Makwenya told journalists that President Cyril Ramaphosa will announce his response once he has started the panel's report. All options are on the table. What is important is choosing a path or a route that um, is in the interest of the country with respect to the stability of government as well as the stability of the country itself. And so that's what uh, will guide uh, the president in thinking through a number of those options that are available to him. Parliament gave the independent panel a clear task. It was assigned to finding out whether in his handling of the Palapala farm burglary President Ramaphosa committed a serious violation of the constitution or the law or committed serious misconduct. The investigation was launched after reports surfaced that thieves broke into a house at Ramaphosa's farm in 2020 and stole millions of dollars, but that Ramaphosa did not report the theft to the police. Instead, according to the reports, Ramaphosa arranged for the thieves to be kidnapped and then bribed into silence. Ramaphosa has said a much smaller amount of money was stolen, which came from game sales, and that he reported the burglary at the time. After a month of investigation, the panel has made its findings known. It concluded that Ramaphosa, by running a game business that earns income, may have violated the law that prohibits members of the executive from doing paid work while holding office. It also found that he may have committed a serious violation of the anti-corruption law for failing to report the burglary to officers at a police station. The panel alleges this amounts to an abuse of power for using state resources and personnel in pursuing his private cash. The South African constitution states that a sitting president can be impeached if he commits a serious violation of the constitution or law or commits serious misconduct or is unable to perform functions of his office. The panel says Ramaphosa may have violated the first two. Richard Callant, 
and associate professor in public law at the University of Cape Town, told the media the findings have left Ramaphosa with few options. When a, a finding such as this is made against a sitting president, there's only one uh, implication, is decide whether to resign or whether they should await a process that may lead to a similar conclusion. Opposition parties are already calling for Ramaphosa to resign. The report comes at a time when the ANC is preparing for its elective congress, where Ramaphosa is running for a second term as party head. Some critics within his party are already calling on him to step down. The National Executive Committee of the African National Congress is meeting this evening to deliberate on the matter. Tusokumalo for VOA News, Johannesburg. I am James Barty in Washington. Today is Friday, December 2nd. Still to come on our program, Samsung Omali Sports. In the Gambia, thousands of dollars have been paid into the accounts of some civil servants for their November salaries amid a hacking incident at the country's central bank. Sajo Brito has more from Banjo. In the fourth quarter of November, reports of hackers infiltrating the central bank of the Gambia surfaced online. The hackers claimed to have stolen two terabytes of sensitive data. The Gambia government quickly issued a press release asking Gambians not to panic. The hackers are said to have taken money from the central bank and added it to the accounts of civil servants. In fact, some who earn less than $200 monthly have received thousands of dollars for their November salaries following the attack. However, after quick government intervention, they have not been able to withdraw the money. Mohamed Drame is a government employee. He says he received a deposit alert of 6,000 U.S. dollars for his November salary, which is a 200% increment compared to his actual monthly earnings. When I woke up today, I realized my account has been restricted after they realized what happened. Now I can't even access the little I earn. Gambian economist and political pundit Momodou Sabali says the unprecedented cyber attack is a major breach of economic and financial security, which he says must not be brushed under the carpet. He accused the government of downplaying the issue. I think this government should come out clean and admit that the central bank was hacked and the extent was really pervasive and that government cannot fully control the situation. Meanwhile, ATMs and other digital banking applications in the country have since been disabled. The Gambia government has also refused to make any comments on the massive overpayment of salaries. But in a statement, it did say, the Gambia is among many countries around the world affected by cyber attacks by vicious cyber criminals hell-bent on blackmailing governments into paying ransoms. For VOA Daybreak Africa... I am Sergio Brito in Banjo, the Gambia. 
Cameroonian health workers and people with HIV marched for World AIDS Day yesterday, Thursday, and called for access to treatment for patients in conflict areas. There are about half a million Cameroonians with HIV, and at least 1,000 live in the country's troubled western regions and the border with Nigeria. The protesters urged Cameroon's military, the separatists, and militants to allow all HIV patients access to needed treatment. Moki Edwin Kizeka reports from Yaoundé. This music about AIDS by musical group La Voix du Cénacle blasts through speakers at the Chantal Bia International Research Center in Cameroon's capital Yaoundé. The center carries out research on AIDS, treats and donates gifts to poor and vulnerable people with HIV. The song says AIDS is not fatal and invites people to take HIV tests and find out their status. Scores of health workers and people with HIV listened to the music and marched in Yaoundé, calling for access to treatment for patients in conflict areas. Marie Chantal Awulbe belongs to the Cameroon Network of Adolescents and Positive Youth, which encourages those with AIDS to get regular treatment. She took part in the protests and activities to encourage free screening on World AIDS Day. She says people with HIV are unhappy because one patient who was denied regular treatment died a week before World AIDS Day commemorative activities. Awube says her network is asking both armed groups and government troops to stop deaths among people with AIDS where there are armed conflicts by allowing the patients regular treatment. Cameroon's public health ministry says similar protests and activities to encourage free screening took place in 70 hospitals with at least 30 hospital workers and people with AIDS taking part in each of the hospitals. Medical staff members say intimidation and abduction of health workers, ceaseless battles between government troops and separatist fighters make it impossible for medical supplies to reach the troubled English-speaking regions. Moki Edwin Kinzaka for VOA News, Yaoundé, Cameroon. The LBGT community is the most affected HIV group in Liberia. The government on Thursday, World AIDS Day, said LGBTQ individuals account for over 65% of all new infections. The country's National AIDS Commission says the rise in new cases, especially among minority groups, puts at risk the country's goal of lowering rates by 2030. Moses Gaziawu reports from Monrovia. The UN's Sustainable Development Goals call for an end to the epidemic within seven years. The goal is to leave no one behind. But the latest government report shows the LGBTQ community is at a disadvantage. The Integrated Biobehavioral Surveillance Survey accounts for over 65% of new HIV infections belong to the group. Theodosia Kwali is the chairperson of the Liberia National AIDS Commission. The report shows that... Men who have sex with men account for 37.9%. Transgender, 
27.6%. Unit phone survey personnel, 17.6%. In Liberia, there is a legislation that forbids same-sex relations. According to the executive director of Stop AIDS in Liberia, Evans Adolfo, harsh laws are behind the increase in infections. One of those reasons that caused the stocks to be high, especially in Western Central Africa, which Liberia is a part, is that we have laws on the books that criminalizes and will keep population groups. So with these laws, people are afraid to come to us as a service because there's no form of protection, there are no policy in order to protect them. Adolfo works with people in the LGBTQ community despite laws forbidding their existence. He says attempts to campaign for support has received stiff resistance. So many times when you bring up this issue, people feel that these people want to promote homosexuality. They want people to just be having sex randomly. But this is way more than just their personal perception. It's not because we want to change the tradition and cultures that we have. The National AIDS Commission is meanwhile rallying the legislature to overhaul the laws. NAC Chair Theodosia wants discriminatory laws repealed. No HIV-related discriminatory laws, regulations, and policies shall be passed. Repeal all existing related discriminatory laws, regulations, and policy on our books. Liberia's Justice Minister and Chair of the Cabinet, Frank Musa Din, says his ministry is willing to work in helping to ease the discrimination that undermines the fight against HIV and AIDS. The Ministry of Justice stands ready to cooperate and work jointly with the National AIDS Commission to realize the goals contained in its mandate and to ensure that equality is promoted and issues of inequalities are addressed. The National AIDS Commission says there are over 900 people who die every year from AIDS-related complications in Liberia, while there are 1,000 new HIV infections. The latest figures by UNAIDS shows there are over 34,000 people living with HIV in the country. For VOA News, I'm Moses Gazo in Monrovia. It is time now for Daybreak Africa Sports, and here is Samson O'Malley in Abuja, Nigeria. A very good Friday morning to you, Samson. Good Friday morning to you too, James. We begin the sports with the latest update from the 2022 FIFA World Cup in Qatar. Morocco survived a courageous Canada comeback to win 2-1 and advance to the knockout phase as Group F winners, the first African team to top their group, a feat which dates back to 1998 when Nigeria did so. Hakim Ziyech and Nasir had the Atlas Lions 2-0 up inside 25 minutes, but a naive Agret own goal swung momentum in the Canucks' favor. Ashraf Hakimi said the win over Canada was a proud moment for the team, the country, and indeed the African continent. We have a good uh, group. Uh, I think uh, we have a good mentality. Uh, the first day when we came here, we spoke uh, together that um, is the moment the, the change in mentality from from all the Moroccan players, uh, I think the, it's time to change the, our generation. Uh, it's time to, to do good things. Um, I think uh, also that that generation, we, we deserve to do, like I say, history. A tough test awaits the Atlas Lions in the next round as they come up against the 2010 champion Spain on Tuesday.
In Friday's fixtures, Cameroon will play Brazil, while Ghana face a grudge match against Uruguay in the final round of group fixtures to determine whether they can make it a total of four from the continent. Ghana and Uruguay will meet in a repeat of one of the tournament's most contentious games from 12 years ago. Uruguay striker Luis Suarez at a pre-match conference refused to apologize for his handball against Ghana in the 2010 World Cup. Suarez deliberate handball on the goal line at the end of extra time in the quarterfinals of the 2010 World Cup in South Africa denied Ghana a certain goal and a place in history as the first African team to reach the semis. Suarez was sent off for the handball but celebrated widely on the sidelines when Asamoah Gyan hit the penalty off the crossbar. Uruguay won the ensuing penalty shootout. I don't say the apologize about that because I take the handball, the ball, but uh, the Ghana player uh, missed a penalty, not me. For his part, coach Uto Addo of Ghana is aware of the quality in the South American side and is looking forward to a tough match. Uh, first of all, it's you uh, have a very, very long tradition of football and mentality. Um, all the players are strong mentality players. Um, they have a lot of experience in their team, um, very, very good strikers, but the midfield is, is good as well and uh, yeah, even, even the wingers. On Wednesday, Tunisia recorded a 1-0 win over the reigning FIFA World Cup champions France in the final rounds of Group D marches at the Education Stadium in Qatar. And that's it on Daybreak Africa Sports. I am Samson Omale in Abuja, Nigeria. It's back to you, James, in Washington. Thank you, Samson. Have a nice weekend. And that's it for this Friday, December 2nd edition of Daybreak Africa. We thank you for spending your week with us. For more Africa news and features, visit our website at voaafrica.com. Connect with us on all social media platforms, including Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We are also on YouTube, where you can watch our TV shows, Africa 54, Straight Talk Africa, and Red Carpet. On behalf of the Daybreak Africa crew, I am James Barton, Washington, wishing you will have a great weekend. We'll see you again on Monday morning. Hello, I'm Carol Castiel. What should we make of the impending right-wing government in Israel? Benjamin Netanyahu returns to power, this time with an alliance of some of the most extreme politicians in Israel today. Two Israel experts explain why this happened and implications for the Palestinians, U.S.-Israel relations, and the region, Israel's new government, next on Encounter, this Saturday and Sunday, on The Voice of America.